Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Osing Curious Projects interview with Dan Nemec. Um, we're really happy to have him on here with us, and I'm thrilled to uh, introduce myself and some of our Osing Curious members. I'm Michael Hoffman, and I go by Web Breacher Online, and I would love to pass this over to Nico. Say hi, Nico. Hey, everybody. My name is Nico Dakins. I go online by the handle of Dutch underscore OSINT guy. And let me hand it over to Ines. Hi, everyone. Ines Narciso, IWN underscore LX on Twitter. Nice to be with everyone. Really interested in what Dan has to say. Cool. And Christina? Hi, everyone. My name is Christina Lecati, and I go online by Christina Lecati, <laughs> and I pass it on to Laurent. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Laurent. I go by the handle at Laurent Bordo, and I have the honor today to introduce our interviewee, who is uh, Dan Nemec. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those of you who don't know Dan, so Dan, he works as a software developer, and he kind of like discovered the world of OSINT in late 2018. Um, he loves to code and also software and websites, and he loves to dig into this. And one of his favorite things about the OSINT community is its friendliness and also the culture of sharing ideas to lift up the community and also make everyone better investigations. And this is also something we will talk about today. So first of all, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, so to start off, so we usually do this by asking our interviews, like, Tell us your story. Uh, how did you get into the OSINT world? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I came in uh, from the more technology side and the computer programming side. Um, I went to school, um, got a computer science degree. I've been working in, um, in software for um, almost nine years now. And a couple of years ago, um, I think it was um, Caitlin Bowden I found one of her posts on uh, my Twitter account, uh, just scrolling by, and she was talking about her um, her work into the non-consensual image abuse or revenge porn, and using um, she was sharing some stories about how she found people who were sharing uh, other women's photos um, using OSINT techniques, and then uh, through that I kind of found some threads to other people's OSINT um, OSINT accounts, and the whole the whole thing is just so interesting. Um, reading about that, and um, so that's kind of how I got into OSINT and how um, I found the community. And since then, um, been reading through people's Twitter posts, reading through the Discord chats, the um, the Rocket chat. It's been really great um, to learn from everybody. So I can hear a lot about a curiosity, which I think we also we have to we share the same story basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and what were you doing before that? So before you came into contact with OSINT, because you have a really technical background. And I think we're going to also talk about Python later on and uh, also our podcast listeners. So make sure to follow Dan on Twitter. His handle is at DJ Nemec. Yep. So um, what were you doing before that? So um, in, in college, I studied um, C++, uh, C++ pretty much um, the entire time. Um, in school, and then in my own free time, I learned some Python, um, just because it was, I mean, it's a fun language, it's um, easy to get started with, um, looks a little bit like English, and so um, I really enjoyed, <laughs> really enjoyed learning it um, as kind of a complement to the kind of really complicated C++. And 
Um, from there, um, in my work at um, my, my regular work, I, I do .NET development, not a whole lot of uh, Python. But I do a lot of um, kind of uh, hobby work and oh, work on my own. And most of that is in Python. And so and I spend a lot of time building up my skills there yeah. and practicing on stuff. So do you, did you learn Python uh, on your own pace? You, you taught it yourself, or did you follow courses for it? Um, mostly taught myself. Um, I was very lucky, um, very privileged to be able to have, have that time um, in college um, when I wasn't doing, uh, doing homework or studying, that I could spend some time and kind of just playing with things on my own. And um, mostly it was taking what I knew from C++ and say, how do I, I know how to do this in C++, how do I do this in, in Python? And then looking, Googling for kind of the equivalent and then kind of learning from there, looking at documentation, of course, and reading through that. I don't think I took any courses specifically. So, so for me, because that's a question a lot of people in the open source intelligence uh, community ask, they want to learn Python, and you just mm -hmm. told us you, you taught yourself. So you learned a coding language first, being C++. You shifted over through to Python because it's similar to C++, because some listeners may not know the similarity. Mm -hmm. So how can you move over from one coding language to another? So there are different classes of programming languages. I would say that um, C++ is kind of similar to um, your C Sharp and your Java more so than it is to, um, to Python in terms of kind of the syntax and, um, and some of the features that it has. Um, but C++ is um, lower level because the other languages they kind of handle a lot of things for you, like memory management, uh, stuff that uh, when you're working in Python, you just kind of ignore and uh, just assume that it works. Um, but still some of the concepts like um, creating objects or calling methods, functions, um, reading documentation for uh, features and, and things like that is the kind of concepts that are almost universal between languages. And so you, when you when you know how to program in one language, you kind of understand um, the way that um, the way that you need to to I guess write the code and get it to work, and even uh, debugging, seeing error messages, um, understanding what that means actually to how you change your code, and those skills. Um, once you know one language, it's depends on the language, whether it's super easy or more difficult to, to translate to a different language. But it really helps knowing at least one programming language to be able to learn something new. Yeah, and if you, I mean, just just to go along with that, when, once you know a language like in the, in the real world here, English or Spanish or Portuguese or whatever, understanding other related languages makes it easier. Those more distinct are, are extremely challenging. Like I know English, learning Mandarin, it's gonna take me a long time because there's a lot of different vocabulary, a lot of different syntax. And I think, uh, would you agree that with within the world of programming languages, some, like you mentioned, are a little bit closer to English and just writing what you want versus 
defining uh, other types of things about it, like lower level things. So make it yes. easy for you to just get in there and do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in college, I was forced to to do some weird <laughs> languages <laughs> uh -huh. um, that, that I still don't even, um, it's really hard to comprehend them. Um, but something like Python where you're typing, you know, um, if um, Nemec is in um, list of strings or whatever, it's it's almost like English and being able to have just kind of a, a basic understanding of Python and an understanding of English, you could kind of see how the two concepts go together versus having to uh, understand some string, strange uh, symbols that actually mean equals or, or inside of or that kind of thing. Now you have on your GitHub page, you have over 100 <laughs> repositories. Now I know that that some of those are not your code. They're a code that other people have written that yes. you found interesting and you forked their projects. But, but I do know that you have some projects of your own that are pretty interesting to the OSINT world. Are there any that you want to you know, maybe mention here? Um, sure, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of projects, I know. Um, it's kind of... One thing that I really like about um, the software community is um, open source and free software, which is kind of... Um, it's There's kind of competing theories on, on that between um, letting... Uh, letting a, Closed source companies take your code and use that, like uh, inside Google, to profit from your code, or um, or using what's called um, copyleft to kind of ensure that people who are using your code keep the ch their changes open and free to everybody to use. Um, but that's something that I, I like as well. And through that, I've a lot of the code that I write, even if it's not going to be, you know, really important to anybody but me. I upload that on my uh, GitHub account, just um, kind of as a backup <laughs> for one thing, and just to have it out there in case somebody wants to use it sometime uh, or find something through it. Um, but yeah, as far as OSINT-related stuff, um, it's so how about right how about uh, I I recently discovered your. Um, um, uh, was it? Uh, now I forgot the name. It's the Snapchat. it's the Snap Snapchat map scraper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the so, Snapchat map. So, can you tell us what made you come up with that code? What was the initial idea? How, what triggers you to to write it? Sure. And can you describe so, what the tool does as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the Snapchat map scraper. Uh, what this does is, um, if you're not familiar with the Snapchat map, people who are listening to this, um, it basically shows a map of, of the world and shows little hotspots in, uh, in a dark uh, heat map, a dark red heat map of where people are posting on Snapchat and where people are sharing uh, their videos publicly. Um, and so basically what I, what, was, what I was thinking when I built that was this was during the, um, the George Floyd protests, um, the unrest that was going through um, the entire US and what I wanted to, what I um, was thinking was, hey, we have this uh, Snapchat map. What if something happens on Snapchat? It gets recorded, and we want to um, save that data without having to, you know, have somebody looking at Snapchat map twenty four seven just trying to find something. And so uh, I dug into kind of the code behind Snapchat, um, their their map uh, system. And then wrote a the program basically it goes through 
uh, you give it a list of uh, geolocations of where you want to search uh, search for the their, these snaps, and then it uh, repeatedly kind of looks for what new snaps are there at this location, and for all of those, it just downloads them into a folder on your PC. And then I there, there's also a very basic kind of um, review function to to look for you know interesting things, whether it's people posting their food, whatever you can kind of filter that out. Um, but it's eventually you're going to collect you know hundreds of these videos. Some of them may be relevant, some of them may not be relevant. Um, and so yeah, it lets you kind of collect all of that, look at it later, and then see what's um, what's interesting for the, the purpose that you're trying to cap capture this data. Yeah, I, I found it really uh, interesting and very useful because recently we had some riots in the Netherlands due to uh, the COVID evening clock restrictions where a lot of people were not that fond of, which made them go loot and riot. And I was just interested to see, hey, how can I preserve data as quick as I can from Snapchat mm -hmm. maps? Why? Because they th th those videos will be gone mostly within 24 hours. And I'm only one person with one laptop, and uh, I can do very fast clicking because I, <laughs> but <laughs> I cannot grab all the yes. things. And that, and this, this is basically I, I readily went to GitHub, and I was like, Snapchat map. Let's see what's out there on GitHub. And I ended up on your GitHub. Like, oh, Emic, I know that. I know that name. I'm like, it, it should be good. And I tested it out, and it worked perfectly. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey, thank you for sharing that. And that's, I think, what I was curious about. And also, um, what I found interesting, because I know a lot of people do like to learn how to code in Python. So that was my next step after all the, the, the panic was over. Now let's look at his code. What can I learn from it? How did he code that stuff? What yeah. kind of triggers did he build in there that are able to pull based on coordinates those videos? So really interesting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This also leads me to another question, because as um, Nico just said, I also learned from other people's codes going through it. And one of the questions I also often hear and also get is, um, do I have to, so especially from people who just entered the world of OSINT, and they are asking, do I have to learn Python? Because I think sometimes there's a confusion, because you read a lot about Python, you read a lot about OSINT, and these are two very separate worlds, but also interlinked. So you, with your background, what would you advise? Uh, what advice would you give to someone who's just entered the world of OSINT? Should, should I learn Python first? Should I learn OSINT first? Should I learn both at the same time? What would you say? So I would say that Python is maybe not the, the top priority. Um, if you don't have to learn Python, um, you can use, I mean, you can use any language. If your goal is to write tools and automate uh, the work that you're doing, you can use it really any, any language you want. Uh, whichever one that you think you would like most. Um, you can definitely use um, those languages to automate. If you're looking to extend other people's tools, it does seem that Python is kind of the um, the biggest and most uh, popular in this community. And so definitely learning Python can't, can't hurt. Um, being able to learn from other people's uh, code and contribute to it and extend it uh, for other uses uh, Python, definitely you, good. 
you mentioned Dan that that Python seems to be very close. It's sort of close to okay, more close than mm -hmm. C and C sharp and mm -hmm. C to just written English, and and that's one of the things that I love about it is that when I get into somebody else's code, like your Snapchat stuff, I just look through it for things I know about, like HTTPS. If I just yes. search through the whole document for HTTPS, I'll find many of the places that your code goes to. And then I think, well, can I replicate that in my browser? Can I see how he's making those web requests? So, so kind of starting with something that I know about and then seeing how you've managed to retrieve it or interact with it. Um, that's how, that's one of the ways that I started getting into coding too. And then I'm like, well, mm -hmm. I can just copy Dan's code, then mm -hmm. go and cite that he actually was <laughs> the one that wrote it. And then, you know, start using that to make my own requests. Um, so yeah. I, I agree with you, man. It's, it's, it's a, it's a lower barrier with Python than some of the other more classic programming languages. But yeah. I mean, you got to have a reason to do it too, right? It, I mean, you can do every Python tutorial out there, but mm -hmm. if you don't have a, I wonder if I can grab all the videos off of Snapchat map, um, then you know that the, you're missing the point of automation. Yeah, having that internal drive to learn more for a purpose, I definitely, I think helps a lot. Yeah. Um, someone saying, I want to, I, Coding is good. I want to learn coding. Um, is is kind of, I mean, obviously it's a, it's nice to nice to hear. But um, having a focus on something that you actually want to learn and a goal to get from from nothing to something is, I think, a, definitely will help you to learn um, and focus on what you want to learn. But uh, Michael, you you mentioned uh, a really good point about starting with what you know and yeah. what you can understand when focusing on code and that um, even beyond that, if you know, once you know how to code, if you're looking at other people's code, that's actually a very, very good technique for um, for digging into to some new code that you don't know, you don't understand. Maybe it's really complicated, uh, really nested and twisted, um, but you want to understand it and pick out the different, um, pick out how it works, understand how it works, and then maybe replicate it later. Kind of like what I did with um, taking Snapchat Map which has a lot of JavaScript code that, that I don't understand, and then taking out really the important parts and taking putting that into Python. Um, but really, that's kind of the exact kind of same thing that I do when pulling that the data out of someone, someone else's like a Facebook or a Snapchat. So when you when you see something like Snapchat and you have that question that I, that's the always, that's the part that I get excited about. It's like. I wonder if, I wonder if I could download all of these and monitor an area and store all that offline. I wonder if I could do whatever, analyze all this data. Um, when you get those, I wonder if, what's your what's your kind of next step in, in looking at the code? Are you using web developer tools in the browser? Are you doing other things or just clicking around? What is your like thought process for how do you explore some website that's got interesting content? Yeah, so when it comes to that, I would say that the web developer tools are absolutely incredible, what they can do these days and how they've evolved over time. Um, it's just, I mean, it makes things so easy. <laughs> um, I, I remember, I think in college was, I remember re reading for the first time that someone had released um, an extension for Firefox called Firebug that did, was the original web developer tool 
And it didn't exist in Chrome, didn't exist in Internet Explorer. Um, but you could actually dig into what was behind the website instead of just looking at the, the plain source. Yep. Um, and over time now, it's it's evolved into what it is now. But it's it's incredibly powerful for looking at what the page is doing, what code is running, uh, debugging that code. But when when I'm kind of thinking of what do I what do I want to do first, the idea of what I keep in my head is there's nothing magic about uh, about code. Uh, whatever is running on your PC, it has to basically, you know, come from the server, Facebook server, Snapchat server. That it, those instructions come from uh, from the from that server onto your server over the network. And so, whatever instructions you need to run, it's on that wire between the network. And so, if you can look in your uh, browser dev tools, look at the network tab and see exactly what's coming over that wire, then you know it's in there somewhere. And you can start with looking for, um, like you said, HTTP. Um, this coming in a video, right? Um, it's going to be a URL somewhere. So look for those video kind of URLs. Look for um, uh, playlist URLs, trying to find what you're looking for. And then once you find that URL, where did, where did they come up with that URL? You kind of take one step back to what what code created that URL? How did they know which video to pick up? Um, and another thing you can do is literally just click around on things and say, OK, I click on this. How did it respond? What did it send to the server? What instructions is it requesting back? And then um, say you want to get someone's tweets. You click on their username, look in the, um, the network tab. And it shows you, you know, uh, the tweets. Uh, it shows you the tweets um, from the user, and it says, you know, tweets for screen name DJ Nemec. And you think, okay, this is for DJ Nemec's tweets. What if I take, I copy that request, change the screen name, um, yep. and then do it again with someone else's screen name? Will it give me someone else's tweets? And then and you kind of. See, that's one of the interesting things, though, Dan, is because you have that base knowledge. You have that broader knowledge of programming, of how things on the web work, which is is so important for open source intelligence, because most of what we do is, well, on web pages, right? I mean, yes, yes, there's other open source, but we don't really pay attention to that. But there's so much that's... That, that if you understand the basics of how things communicate on the web, you understand how web pages are kind of put together, you understand all of that, then di dissecting how a certain target website works is so much easier. Now, some people look at it and go, that's black magic. That is that is hacking. Oh my God, you're ha you're not. We're just looking at what's happening in our browsers that is automatic and doing that stuff manually. Am I right? Or that's basically it. Yeah, you're taking basically a lot of what I do is is copying the request that the web page makes already, yep. copying all the cookies, copying all the the headers, all of that, and then breaking it down into what's absolutely important for this uh, request to be success. If the, if I take this out and it fails, then it's required. If it's not, then I can you know ignore it. It's superfluous, and then distill that into code and just kind of replicate it in, a, in Python, for example. 
Doesn't this way of thinking have a lot of similarities with an investigative mindset, trying to understand how things work, how to get to the bottom of something? Absolutely. Yeah, so, there's a lot of parallels. And, and Christina, um, you bring up a great point that when, and Dan, see if this resonates with you or Nico too, you know, when I'm looking at a website and trying to figure out the ocean, my brain is using that, that logical analysis that I learned from programming, the, the, the for loops to iterate over things, the if then statements, the, all of the conditionals and evaluations that I would normally put into like a Python script. If I do this, then what happens if I do that? You know, that an analytical approach, I think, is very analogous between programming and investigations. Yes? No? Yeah, I like to agree. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for web pages, it's basically like a, a several stage rocket. You can look for the information that you can see. Then you can look for the information that's under the hood, maybe the source code. And then you can look for the, the third stage of the rocket in the developer tools and maybe the traffic. Uh, that flows through it. And with that, you can extract information because the information is already there, but it's not always visible. And you mm -hmm. make it visible by extracting it using, for instance, Python code. Or at least that's how I like to look at web pages. Dan, yeah, I, I wanted to too. ask you if in the last years, have you seen like a difference on how platforms see uh, this kind of work on basically what what they're so because we've witnessed of course like in the OSINT community that sometimes we almost feel that they're listening like if there's we wouldn't call it a glitch but if there's like something that for us is letting us let us see a little bit under the hood then eventually it will disappear and what do you feel the trend is right now do you think they are they listening? Are they trying to, do they see this as something they don't want? What's what's your feeling? Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a tug of war between um, what we like to have access to as investigators and what's useful to us versus also bad actors who use this for, for bad things. And then the people who, who maintain these, uh, I guess the, the backend APIs that um, that run these tools, it can be caught in in being used for bad things, and then eventually they take it away. And and yeah, I, I do think there's probably at least somebody out there who's who's looking for either their services being used. I don't know about OSINT specifically, but looking for their services being used somewhere on GitHub or on Twitter, and then saying, "Oh, well, we don't want this, and let's uh, let's cut this off." as we obviously saw with Facebook uh, in the last couple of years. Um, and I know Twitter used to have much better APIs uh, maybe five years ago, and now they're not so great anymore. Um, there's definitely a trend of people removing information from their services and kind of keeping it all in-house versus letting uh, kind of freer access to third parties. And it's mostly, it's mostly due to abuse, right? It's not due to that we are trying to do open source intelligence for good. Um, how I look at it, that these things changed, is that people scraped stuff and mass, uh, scaled it up so huge that they were basically uh, knocking down servers or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, if you remember um, 
Michael Basil, his tools that were online, they got knocked off uh, offline a, a year ago, maybe two years ago, due to abuse. Uh, people were abusing his services, and then Facebook eventually sent him. I think it was Facebook, maybe sent him a cease and desist to make him take those off. Um, but but yeah, definitely these things get abused by people looking for to use them for the wrong thing. Can I also ask you a question about you know your thought process? So you discover something and you would like to share it with the community. And I see the same way that I know that this thing, this new thing I discovered benefits the, the majority of the community. And of course, there are always bad people uh, who will exploit this or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, especially uh, what Ines said is very important. And I think the same that everyone's watching. So let's say you found something cool and you want to share it. like. Are you sharing it instantly or are you thinking about it? Maybe someone could uh, use it and by sharing it, I kind of like disable it for others or what is your thinking in terms of before you publish something? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, for the most part, I don't, I don't really keep, um, keep, keep things private um, necessarily to, to kind of hoard it for my own use. <laughs> um, that's not really the, the kind of person that I am. Um, Honestly, I don't do OSINT for a living. It's just kind of a hobby for me. So I'm not using these techniques um, in my own personal work um, for profit. But um, also, I, I like to you know share with other people, um, help other people learn and understand and, and use the techniques. And so I do, um, I may think about it and do, should I be sharing this? But definitely, I, I default to the idea of uh, why shouldn't I share this? Um, if it seems useful to other people, then, then I kind of want to share it with others. Yeah, I think this is a debate that most of us in the community have when we are about to publish something, whether this is an article or a tool. And um, it has kept me personally a little bit awake at night, like what's going to happen if I share this piece of information and it falls into the wrong hands. Uh, on the other hand, I've had a few conversations about this and the analogy of the knife pops in many times, like, uh, you haven't heard of it? Laurent has, for example, yeah, uh, you are a producer or like the inventor of the knife and you, you put it out in the market for people to cut their vegetables and some will cut their vegetables and feed their family, use it for good anyway, for whatever practical reasons. And there will always be a portion of the population that will uh, pick up that knife and murder someone. Are you responsible for the way people are using the information or tools you provide them with? It's a, it's a rather philosophical debate in the end of the day. It sounds philosophical. However, when we move into the realm of hacking and when we move into the oh, realm yeah. of cyber exploitation, there are countries out there that have taken the knife essentially and say, this knife is is something that is dangerous and you and we are going to hold you responsible for whatever anybody does with it um and and really i mean what we do in society is say that knife if used in this way is the dangerous illegal foreboden way and thing to do so um i i think the challenges is when you have an international thing like the internet where content might be hosted in multiple countries whose laws and i'm not a lawyer here and maybe some of you know more than any you know whose laws are do you need to be concerned about when dan writes a tool to, to harvest data from snapchat and snapchat's on some content delivery network 
all around the world, he might be scraping data from some other country where it might not be legal to do that. Or, I mean, it gets really complicated. And Dan, mm. I'm not putting you on the on the spot. <laughs> I've written scraper tools too. And I mean, this yeah. is this is the things that we do as in OSINT, but it gets really complicated. And maybe we need to get a lawyer on here. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not a lawyer. Um, okay, good. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know anything about the um, the legalities of that, um, other than kind of in the U.S. There was the recently the, a um, a lawsuit between some scraping company and LinkedIn, and LinkedIn lost that basically because their content was public, yeah. uh, that that company was was legally um, allowed to scrape LinkedIn for that information. Um, but yeah, I, as you said, it's you know this stuff's all over the world. Um, the people who are posting these are in different countries, whose laws um, apply. And um, and where is it legal? Where is it not legal? That's a definitely a big question that um, that I don't know the answer to. So I have an, another question for you. We talked about your background in IT and you learning coding languages, moving over to Python, and getting interested. Basically, you said 2018, if I remember correct, into the open source intelligence field. What triggered you to get interested in in well, let's say uh, the ocean curious world? So I guess the, the idea of, um, you know, I, I like investigating websites and digging into the source code of things, finding out how it works, and then seeing that people were looking into investigations of um, people, companies digging into the, um, I guess Ballincat was probably a, a big one as well, looking at some of their, um, their research or research into um, I think it was Russian poisoning um, back in maybe early 2019. They posted about that, and that was just so interesting to read, um, both about what they found and how they found it, kind of what they dug through, the different data sources and and finding all of that. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to read. Um, I know <laughs> when I was a, when I was a young child, um, I think one of the the you know you ask what do you want to be when you grow up and one of my things uh, when I was a young child was like a detective because I like investigating things and and digging into stuff um, obviously I never did that I'm just a software guy but the still now you can to, <laughs> yeah exactly it's I can kind of combine my technology experience with the um, investigative mindset and insights and it's it's really interesting to learn about. So do you come up with your own investigations nowadays? So I, we all know you can code and you help, for instance, uh, also for inspiration for uh, Technoset. He, she, she heavily mm -hmm. uh, used your GIST that is about the base 64 decoding and encoding of Facebook, uh, basically querying. Do you do your own research as well? So let's say you were interested in, you told uh, the George Floyd incident. Mm -hmm. Is that just purely interest or do you also participate in let's say volunteer groups or something uh not a whole lot um i did a trace labs ctf once uh, for the missing persons ctf but most of it's just kind of a hobby just kind of um i see something that that interests me and i want to build it and i want to go from from you know not having that experience to having some experience and one thing that I like about uh, writing code and 
and like that. So uh, it's reusing it. So if if there's in the future there's something that I want to investigate, and I think, oh, I wrote this code, you know, a year ago that does this really related thing that I want to look at. I can I can go back to that and repurpose it for my new um, thing. And so I do that a lot with with my coding, um, kind of just so, preparing a, a base. So so when you let, let's dive a little bit deeper into that because one you mentioned you are a hobbyist. This is this is not your full time job. Um, are there things that that kind of just interest you now? You have a background, like Nico said, and like you've said, in some of the core technologies of how the internet works. So you've got a firm um, uh, basis for understanding the web. When you see something, do you have this like like question that goes off in your mind and then you're like, ooh, I wonder if I could do this or is it more of like a low simmer, like, hey, I think this would be helpful type of thing or, or what is your like next step once you get that that aha moment? What do you do next? Or is there anything, or am I just making <laughs> stuff up? Because I could just make it's stuff just up. And that happens. Um, so, yeah, I guess for the say the the George Floyd thing, uh, it was just kind of, I was curious to what um, I live in the U.S. and so I was kind of thinking, what's it like uh, where I live? Are there are there protests? Are there um, anything going on? Um, abuse, that kind of thing, and so. I guess what I was thinking was, well, I don't want to go and click to click on Snapchat map every 45 minutes looking for stuff. And so I was like, well, let's take a few hours, um, code up this thing to automatically sweep all the the, uh, the videos. And then I'll just review it later and, and see what's going on. Cool. Kind of a way for me to keep up with what was happening in uh, my local community. And that's what automation should do, right? Make your life easier so you're not doing what Nico said, you know, the, the clicking and clicking and refreshing and refreshing, and it frees you up to do other things like analysis instead of the collection. Mm. Um, I do have to get a lot better at that, though. <laughs> um, I'm very good at data collection, I guess, but I don't have um, quite as much experience since um, I don't do this for a living at the analysis side and, and taking it. But see, it. that's where other, and I mean, you mentioned this earlier that that you, your successes sometimes are based upon the success, successes or failures of other people. You know, Matthias Wilson published this great thing on, on uh, video analysis in Microsoft's Azure uh, cloud and, and how to do that. Once you have all of those MP4s that you've downloaded, now marrying that with Matthias's project, now you can, you know, you take the chocolate, you take the peanut butter, you put it together and you got yourself a, a really nice snack there. Um, so that that's one of the things I always like doing is getting something going, okay, I have all this stuff. What What's my next step? And does there need to be, or or am I off onto another project? Because um, mm -hmm. I, I would imagine that it's, it's, there's a lot of distraction that sometimes come in. You're like, oh, I finished the Snapchat thing. Now there's, ooh, Parlay is over here. And oh, there's Gab and oh, look at this. and. Do you do that too? Like test out little, you know, try a little system to, to see what's there? Yeah. Um, sometimes a lot of just little things don't really take it too far. Um, for like the the gab and and parlor, it's you know sometimes it's just too much. <laughs> I don't have that much time to go look into every little thing, um, and so I try to use my time um, when I have it. And as a hobbyist, one of the oh, um, Christina, did you want to say something? 
I wanted to add a small point, but it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that what comes through from this conversation as a message as well is that you can be a hobbyist and yet contribute to the community and contribute to the, the people that are actually doing investigations and uh, do something that matters, although you don't get paid for it and you just do it for fun, it still can matter substantially for others. Yeah, I'm grateful I that people nice find message. it interesting yeah. and find it useful. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, and I was actually going to, to ask you about that too, is that's how I got into OSINT too. I was in cybering and cybering and cybering. And, and during the day I would do certain things. And then at night for, you know, two to eight hours, I'd be like, oh, I could grab all of the things from this site or that site, or I can do this. And I would be trying things and experimenting and, and really that was that was like the fun part of my day was after I clocked out of work, um, not asking you to tell tell us if you like your job or not. But <laughs> do you find that too? Like sometimes you just get into your investigation or the that I could do this capability type of thing, and and time passes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, it, it comes and goes, but there are times where I'm, you know, from. Um, 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. until 4 a.m. kind of just coding on on some ideas. Jeez. Um, like recently, it was um, somebody on on the Discord, the the Searchlight Discord, had posted about um, creating a um, a tour or an onion scraper, and so I was like, "Well, could I do this? It seems interesting." And building building a scraper and a search engine off of that, so you could actually you know search for uh, keywords inside uh, darknet resources. And so I kind of, um, over a couple of days, just kind of banged out on a, a very basic, a very simple going from nothing to collecting, I guess, have an input list of, of Onion websites, collecting data, indexing data, and then a search engine to type in your, your keywords and, and get something back. And so, yeah, definitely <laughs> um, hours of, of investigation and, and building stuff like that. And and I'm hearing that you build things modularly too, because I do the same thing. I'm like, okay, this tool needs to make a web request and and get something back and analyze it. Okay, I used did that in this tool. Let me take that and put it over here, and then I'm um, mm -hmm. just reusing those code modules. Very cool. Yeah, um, yeah breaking down the question and, and that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Well, then. Uh... Uh, yeah, so Ines, Christina, would you like to um, add something or do you want to say something? Any other questions? I'm uncovered. It's been pretty interesting. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. And I really also enjoyed the discussion around Python because we spoke about Python a lot. Uh, also in other webcast uh, episodes uh, last year. Um, and I think it becomes, or it is already uh, a very important topic and a lot of people are interested. So it's great to have someone like you uh, on our show to talk about how it is really to work in the IT industry and combine it with OSINT. And I also just want to point out to our listeners. So I'm going to, um, so definitely make sure to follow um, Dan on Twitter. His handle is at DJ Nemec with a C at the end. That's DJ Nemec with a C at the end. And also check out his GitHub page because he's got a bunch of cool stuff on there, such as the uh, SnapMap scraper that uh, Nico mentioned earlier. So that's also here on, on this website, uh, github.com slash Nemec with a C, github.com slash Nemec. 
And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. And uh, what we always do, so we always have a, a last question for all our interviews, um, which is, is there anything else, or not is there anything else, but what's the next thing that you would love to learn? So uh, one thing that I've been looking at, there was a tutorial on uh, learning QGIS, kind of the, it's a, oh, yeah. uh, a, a desktop application for um, kind of investigating yeah, um, geographic things, um, geo and that kind of thing. Um, so I'd love to learn more about that. Um, geolocation, I, I saw um, you guys were um, playing that GeoGuessr game yeah. uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago. And <laughs> I've been playing that as well now, and it's it's pretty fun. Um, that and kind of getting better at the um, the analysis side of of taking what I've found, what I've learned, and actually applying that to an analysis, because that's obviously a very important part of um, the OSINT cycle, the intelligence cycle. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, yeah, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This was thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Thank you, Dan.